0: evening. Hopefully you all did well fighting the crowds getting in here. (laughs) I'm grateful for anyone that's here, so um, that's good. We'll get started this evening. In your Bibles, we're still in Titus. Um, I was telling Matt earlier, I'm I'm hoping to um, get through the rest of it tonight and next week and then um, we would be done with Titus and then we'll take a break for a while and we'll come back with something new um, whenever we get started up again on Wednesday nights Um, I'll be gone a lot coming up soon and there's a lot of fluctuation around so be a good time to finish up and then we'll come back fresh um, after a few weeks and start something new Uh, so Titus chapter 3 and a couple of weeks ago when we were last together, we were reading here in, in chapter 3 where Paul was reminding Titus to be mindful of where he had come from and reminding Christians where they had come from. Um, and not just so that Titus, Titus would be mindful, though. Um, this inspired word of God was for the Christians in Titus' day and for us. Uh, we have to remember that when these, when these words are written to Titus, they are for him at the time, they are for the people he's leading at the time and for those elders he would put in place, but as we know, the word of God has been uh, preserved for us um, and we benefit from it just as much as the early Christians did. And as you and I uh, live out our Christianity each day um, with unbelievers all around us, How do we relate to them? How do we treat them? Uh, Do we live or act or speak as if we're better than they are uh, because we're Christians? Or do we do what Paul instructed, which is to remember? He said in verse 1, to be ready for every good work. He said in verse 2, not to speak evil of anyone, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and courteous toward all people. He said these things, and then he adds in verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And, and that's a statement that's meant to bring about humility in, in a person, in particular in a Christian. If there were any thoughts of being better than others, um, This should cure that, to remember where we have come from by the grace of God. And it is another way of saying you're no better than they are. You were once just like them, so remember it. Let that remembrance cause you to think rightly about the unbelievers around you. Let it cause you to be compassionate toward those whom God has not saved yet. And also we looked at what Paul did next, which was to remind them What God did to change the previous condition of the Christians. Um, Emphasis here on what God did to change them. He was good, He was kind towards sinners by sending His Son, the Savior. We see that in verse 4. He saved us, Paul says in verse 5, not by works that we did as righteous people, but according to His own mercy. He saved because he is a merciful God and chose to show mercy to some. It had nothing to do with God responding to righteousness in people because there is none. For none is righteous. No, not one, Romans 3.10 tells us. Instead, God had mercy. God saved because he is loving and kind and merciful and he chose to save. How did he do it? We learned that last time as well when we read what Paul wrote saying he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior verse 6 and verse 7 so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life and here we see some of the great doctrines of salvation salvation by grace alone the new birth, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, justification, eternal life, all made possible by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact that we are not the authors or architects or instigators of our salvation. Instead, the credit always goes to God, our, our Father in heaven, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over all, So to summarize further, Paul instructs Christians through his letter to Titus to be ready for good works and tells us what those good works are. He says, treat others well, remembering you two were once in darkness, yet we received mercy when God saved us. And then Paul reinforces everything that he has said up until now with our next verse, verse 8. Let's read together and then have prayer Titus 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to pause and pray this evening, having read your word that you have given us and ask for help from the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand, to receive what you have said, to be taught by it, changed by it, and reminded by it. Lord, all the work that you would have your word do in our hearts, we ask that you would do. Be gracious to us, Father, as we study your word and want to learn more about you and grow closer to you. Thank you for your work in our lives, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we come now to something that Paul insists on. Okay, not only is Paul insisting on all that he has said already, he is instructing Titus, the elder in the uh, in the churches, to insist on the very same thing. Okay, this this means whomever. It also means whomever Titus installs as elders in the churches, which that's why Paul left him in Crete, uh, to, to uh, put in place what, what remained, and that is to put elders in the churches. This is that Titus would also insist on the very same things with them, and that they would, in turn, insist on these things with the people that they are uh, overseeing. Um, so they would re- be required to submit to this same thing, this insistence by Paul. And what is being insisted on? Remember, Paul has said a lot about, as we've gone through this this letter, he said a lot about how Christians are to behave. How Christians are to behave towards one another and how they're to behave towards unbelievers. He talked about older men and younger men, older women, younger women, slaves. All Christians, really, from, from every background and circumstance, are to behave as Christians. In fact, Paul insists on it. And he insists on it in two ways here, I think. And the first one is by saying all that he has already said is trustworthy. Okay? All the instruction here is to be trusted and followed. Okay? He insists on it because it's trustworthy. And the second reason is just by flat out saying, I want you to insist on these things. So question. If someone who has authority over you says they insist on you doing something, what does that mean? You do it. Yeah, just plain and simple. You must do it. All right. You have no choice. What are you doing if you do not do it? Okay. You could yeah, if it's your boss, you can lose your job. Sure. What else? What are we doing if we're not doing what does insist on? Sinning. Yeah, we're being disobedient. We're sinning. Uh, it's this is of course a command of God through the apostle. What we have here, Paul's insistence, is God's insistence that we live a particular way. Uh, to not be obedient to all that Paul has written here, inspired by the Spirit of God, is to be sinning against God. And Titus is to insist, therefore, that the church walk in in the manner in which Paul has laid out before him in this letter. The New American Standard uh, Bible translates this as Paul saying, concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. And These things concern Christians living and behaving properly in the church and in front of the unbelieving world. If a leader in the church is commanded to speak confidently about something, what does that command imply he is not permitted to do? It's kind of an interesting question. If a leader in the church is commanded to speak confidently about something, what does that command imply he is not permitted to do? Okay, not, not to do something else with it. Right, not to take it lightly. What else? Any other thoughts on that? What are they not permitted to do? Now that's kind of a weird question. Oh, for one, they're not permitted to ignore the command. Right? They're not they're not permitted to, to flip-flop on the command, uh, to find ways around the command. They are not permitted to say it's no big deal, right? Or Or it's just a secondary issue. (laughs) That's a a big one these days. When people say something is a secondary issue, they're usually saying this isn't worth focusing on or insisting upon. That's usually what people are really getting at when they say something is a secondary issue. Are there secondary issues? Yes. Okay, but what do we mean or what should we mean by talking about a secondary issue? Well, there are secondary issues, and, and when we talk about them, they are secondary in regard to the truth about how one is saved. They're, they're secondary to the gospel. Um, secondary in regard to their, whatever the topic is, it is, it's secondary in regard to its involvement in or impact on the truth of salvation. Secondary does not mean Unimportant. Uh, or that something is not a command, or that something is a command that can be ignored or bypassed. That's not what secondary means, and sometimes I think we, we can accidentally think secondary means unimportant, right? And that's not the case. Um, also, the words Paul uses here indicate this is an, an ongoing imperative, right? In other words, Titus is to very strongly and continually insist that Christians behave as Christians should behave. It's an ongoing thing. We should think about the command to leadership in the church here. If we never hear our pastors commanding us and insisting that we live as the Bible instructs us to, there's a problem. Right? And we sh- We shouldn't have a problem when the pastor does strongly insist on Christian living. We should thank the pastor for pointing it out and for keeping us accountable and reminding us. And Paul tells Titus to speak confidently or to insist on these things. Uh, To insist on them is affirming that they are true. They are true. There's no other way for a Christian to live than what Paul has laid out here. I mean, there are other ways in terms of other passages of Scripture that add to it. There's no other way in terms of in opposition to what Paul has laid out in this letter. Uh, The church doesn't have the right to do anything but obey these commands, so insist on it. This is the point. Speak as if God is saying to people, live this way, because he is. So when he told older men how to behave, God is insisting that they behave that way. Or older women, God is insisting that you behave in that way. Speak as if God is saying to people to live this way, because he is. And to not live as God has insisted is to be disobedient and to be sinning. And we struggle with this. We struggle with this throughout our lives. We want to be obedient. We, we want to do what's right. Um, but we still struggle with sin. We also see that Paul gives another reason here in this passage there's another command of god that is impacted by christians not doing what has been insisted upon and what is impacted has been commanded at least seven times in the letter to titus look at verse eight with me again the saying is trustworthy and i want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in god may be careful to devote themselves to good works these things are excellent and profitable for people. So did you, did you hear that? What other familiar command is impacted, even hindered, by Titus not insisting on proper Christian living? Good works, right? The command to do good works is hindered by the leadership not insisting on godly Christian living. And that includes their own lives. It's not just leaders do whatever they want, tell the people what to do. This is all Christians. But there's an impact on our desire and our ability to do good works when we are not uh, living the way we should be living as Christians. He said, so that those who have believed in God, he's talking about Christians, right? Not just any Joe Blow who says, yeah, I believe there's a God. This is very specific. This is belief in God unto salvation, so Christians. He says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And this, of course, implies that the elder or pastor, in this case Titus, it implies that he has insisted on Christian living, and it implies the church has been obedient to that command. And when the leaders insist on obedience to God and the people respond By being obedient to God, they will, by virtue of that obedience, be careful to do the Lord's good works. They go hand in hand. Not just do them, though. What does he say? They will devote themselves. They'll be devoted to doing good works. Christians will be devoted to treating other Christians well, uh, to treating unbelievers well. There's There's another trustworthy saying attached to this as well, the end of verse 8. It says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, we get get that these, obeying God's, that, that obeying God's commands is excellent, right? That is excellent when we do that. But how are they profitable for people? Which people does it profit? When Christians are obedient to God's commands. Okay, so it profits not only the Christian who's, who's obeying God's commands, but it would also profit another Christian who they might be treating how they should treat them. And then who else would it profit? An unbeliever. Right? We're out there living our Christian lives, being obedient to God's commands. That means I am treating people, whether believer or unbeliever, um, with respect. I'm being loving towards them, kind towards them. Um, I'm living a life that exemplifies Christ. Uh, so yeah, it benefits, it benefits everyone when we are obedient to God's commands and live as Christians should live. Uh, it po- ultimately points people to Christ when we are obedient to God. And so, I don't think there's any way of describing a better way or a better indication that it is profitable than that someone would come to know the Lord because we were obedient in sharing the gospel and living out our Christian life. There's nothing more profitable than someone's sins being forgiven. And then Paul moves on to another beneficial warning, another list of opposite sorts of behavior That are to be avoided and as we look at this list we should again be thinking about the difference between believers and unbelievers should kind of be in our minds there Uh, that the excellent and profitable behavior previously mentioned is in stark contrast to this foolish behavior that christians can when not following what titus is supposed to insist on find themselves engaged in contrary behavior that is behavior that is contrary to the word of God. If, if we're not obeying what, what is being insisted upon, we can find ourselves in opposition to God. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 in chapter 3. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Here, as as Paul begins to wrap up this letter, in verse 9, he revisits the subject of false teachers. He had previously written about them as those whose minds are defiled. He said in chapter 1 that there are many of them First of all, it's not just one or two, there's many of them, and that they are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. And he, he made a point of saying, especially uh, the Jews, that especially the Jews fit this category. Not only them, but especially them. They were doing damage, he said, to whole families by what they were doing, by what they were teaching, they were doing damage. Teaching, he said, for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And if you remember, Paul told Titus he must silence these people. Okay, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work, he said. And they were devoted to what he called Jewish myths and deceiving people. This is how, at the beginning of this letter, how he has described the false teachers and what they're doing. And now he targets them again in his Near the end of this letter, he targets them again in his writing to remind Titus of the danger they pose. And what he tells Titus to do is to avoid them by a way of avoiding what they engage in. Okay, most translations have the word avoid here in your Bibles. Some say shun or don't get involved in. Uh, you might see those words in that in place there. And the meaning of the word Paul uses is really to turn oneself around or to purposely turn away from something or someone. Okay, There's, a, there's an intentionality to this of, of a turning away from what is to be avoided. And in this case, the Christian is to turn away from or avoid what the false teachers and their followers are engaged in. And Paul lists four things in particular um, in this passage. And the first thing is foolish controversies. And the second is genealogies. The third is dissensions. And the fourth is quarrels about the law. Why does Paul say to avoid these things, first of all? Look, looking at the end of verse 9, what is the reason to avoid them? At the end of verse 9. Right. They are unprofitable and worthless. Okay, the exact opposite of the reasons he gave in verse 8 to be devoted to, to good works uh, commanded by God, which was that those things are excellent and profitable. And here we have things that are unprofitable and worthless. Okay, so a total, um, they're totally opposite from one another. Uh, so in this place, as we look at this section, it's different. Verse 9 says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So the effects of involving yourself in these things is written about not just here, but elsewhere in Scripture. We see it all over Scripture, actually, Um, and sometimes in even more harsh terms than we see in this particular passage. I'm going to look at a few passages here real quick. Uh, in Acts fifteen twenty four, we learn that some false teachers had troubled Christians. Uh, and it says, with words unsettling your minds. And we're talking about the, the results of false teaching, false beliefs, following false teachers, and with what they say. And it's their words, the scripture tells us, that unsettle our minds. Okay, that's a, that's a result of this, this uh, unprofitable and worthless teaching. Uh, the next one is 1 Timothy 1.19. And there we learn that by rejecting faith and uh, a good conscience for false beliefs, the scripture there tells us some have made shipwreck of their faith. Okay, so another result of following what is false is is that you may make shipwreck of your faith. And in the very next verse there in 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul names a couple of people in particular, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and he says, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, so we also see here, this, that passage of Scripture is teaching us that, that not avoiding what we're told to avoid leads to blasphemy when we when we engage in the false beliefs and false teaching of those who would teach falsely um, we are led into blasphemy and bumping over to second Timothy chapter 2 verse 14 we learn there that engaging in these things does no good but only ruins the hearers I don't want to be ruined I don't know about you but that's what engaging in or believing what is false will do. It will ruin you. And in a couple of verses later, in Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.16, we learn uh, that they will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Okay? Again, these are all results of following or believing false teaching. These are the things that happen. Um, and... It, we are told here that it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It starts with a little maybe, and then there's more, and then there's more. And that path of falsehood leads to more falsehood. And before you know it, we are living as if we weren't Christians at all. And ultimately, it may prove that a person is not and never was. So we have to be, we have to avoid these things. They, they're damaging and the last one I wanted to look at there is next very next verse in 2 Timothy 2:17. We see that their talk, I'm talking about the those who are false teachers, their talk will spread like gangrene. Okay, it's it's interesting that Paul used the example of gangrene. And I don't know how many of you know much about gangrene. I don't know a ton about gangrene. I know it's bad, right? It's basically a situation where a lack of blood flow causes body tissue to die okay so this is the example that paul uses he says this is what they're like this is what their their teaching is like or or what buying into their lies is like it's like gangrene he in fact says it will spread like gangrene not just that it's like gangrene it will spread like gangrene um first uh, we we should note here that the fact that Gangrene does spread, so he's using something that actually does spread as an example, so people will get it. Right? They know what this means. They know what that looks like. So we know that Paul makes it clear that this teaching will spread to other parts of the body. That's what gangrene does. So if we're talking about the body of Christ and false teaching coming in and being believed by some, it will spread. Okay, this is the picture he's giving us. And the second thing we note there is that gangrene is known to spread very rapidly not only does it spread it's known to spread rapidly it can spread so quickly in fact that you can watch the color of body tissue change right before your eyes it can spread really rapidly so again thinking about the body of christ this false teaching coming in and how it spreads and not only does it spread but it spreads quickly okay and the third thing we should note here in this example that he gives is that gangrene is known to be deadly if you, if you do not stop it by treating it properly, it will kill you, and it can do so in as little as 48 hours. Okay, so whether Paul knew a time frame or not, he's using an example of something that people would understand, and that should conjure up in our minds this image of something extremely contagious, extremely quickly spreading, and extremely deadly, if not dealt with. Right? And that's why we see in the scriptures so many scriptures dealing with false teaching and telling us to, to get rid of it, to be aware of it, to be looking out for it, to refute it, to correct those who are teaching it or believing it. It's, it's deadly serious. And that's the point that he's making by using the example of gangrene. That's the point he's making. Um, so just like we would want to avoid gangrene, I mean, I, I assume you want to avoid gangrene anyway. <laughs> Just like we would want to avoid gangrene and the conditions that cause it, we need to avoid false teaching and those who peddle it. Right? We need to stay away from it. He says they're foolish, and all of the, all four of the things that he has on on this list, all four of the things that he mentions are in the category of foolish. And the word Paul used here is. Uh, Moros, right? This Greek word, which is where we get the word moron. Okay, that's where it comes from. So in other words, getting involved in following these teachers or believing what they're teaching is moronic. Right, avoid these moronic things. We should not want anything to do with them. They're, they're dumb. They're stupid. They're deadly. And when Paul talks about controversies, here he's speaking about, contentious matters, right? That is debating and investigating contentious things, spending time arguing about philosophy and other things that really ultimately rely on human thinking, right? Human reasoning instead of going to the scriptures for what is true. You get engaged in or caught up in all these other things, these philosophical things, and we need to avoid that. Um, And turn with me. I want to have an example here. If you would turn with me to uh, First Timothy, and as soon as I get there, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter one, verses three through seven, and listen for some of the same kind of language. By swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And we see there an example of what this leads to, which is promoting speculations and leading to vain discussions. There's nothing profitable in this for believers, Okay, it's something to be avoided. There's these controversies. Okay, we read also in our Titus passage about endless genealogies, which we heard in what we just read in 1 Timothy as well. Okay, genealogies. Um, these are not to be engaged in. Okay, and it's not that it's a sin or wrong to study or learn about where you came from, where you're where your family came from, or something like that, uh, in terms of your family history. That's not, it's not that that is a sin. There's something else going on here when he's talking about genealogies. And I think it's those who have the attitude of, of the Pharisees, of the Jews in John's gospel. Okay, five times in, in John chapter 8, when speaking to Jesus, the Jews tried to tie themselves to Abraham. Um, and they did so as proof of their, somehow, as of, proof of their association with God. Okay, they said, we are offspring of Abraham, or Abraham is our father. They would say things like that. And the reason they did that is because their lineage was very important, not just so they could say they know their family tree, right? Like people today want to be able to say, well, oh, one of my relatives was on the Mayflower, or something like that. Um, they tried to use this genealogy or where they came from, as something to hold out to God, to be right with God. Okay? This is the same attitude Paul used to hold up as of value in his own life. And when he came to know Christ, he found that using his genealogy for some sort of favor before God was nothing but garbage. And right, if you look with me over at Philippians chapter 3. And we could be reminded of this and what Paul said about it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. We can see here that this was the attitude of Paul. But upon conversion, he changed his mind. Philippians 3, starting verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. "...circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews." Okay, you see there, he's he's laying out his ancestry, he's laying out his genealogy. "...he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Okay, he, had, he had counted it as great worth, right, where he came from. It was something he used to hold as great worth, but now as rubbish, or even some translations say as dung, So does it matter where you come from in order to be saved? No. It doesn't matter where you come from. Absolutely not. In Galatians 3, 27-29 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And Revelation 5, 9 makes it clear. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So there's not one group who can hold up their genealogy and say, This is why we're saved. How are we saved? Through faith in Christ, right? Repentance and faith. And we see that right in there in plenty of scriptures that make it clear. Um, And next, he mentions in our passage dissensions, or other translations have it as strife. And this is really about uh, a self-focus, right? A, A contention. And one commentator expanded on the meaning of the Greek word Paul used here, which is eris, and he said this word is the contention which is born of envy, ambition, the desire for prestige, and place, and prominence. It comes from the heart in which there is jealousy. If a man is cleansed of jealousy, he has gone far to being cleansed of all that arouses contention and strife. It is God, a God-given gift to be able to take as much pleasure in the successes of others as in one's own. Eris, this word he used, is the spirit that is born of unbridled and unholy competition. It comes from the desire for place and power and prestige and the hatred of being surpassed. So, dissensions. This is what we want to be rid of. We don't want anything to do with that. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh <laughs> so ultimately, no one knows <laughs> no one knows those are that's end times. you could say that's end times uh that's after the return of Christ uh, yeah. Who are these folks christians <laughs> christians right and they come from every tribe and tongue and nation and people yeah right there's not a particular place where they come from god saves people from all nationalities all ethnicities from everywhere every language no one's no group of people is left out of that he's saving people out of all of them at that time. No. What he's talking about in verse 10. Uh, there will be, again, that depends on you know, your view of end times, but um, there is also a time where Satan is released again for a short time, and there will be other things happening. Well, there's debate about When all these things take place, so Uh, well can't you can't you as a Christian be hopeful in Christ that He is coming to take you to be with Him and you will be transformed, your lowly body will be transformed to be like His glorious body. Everything will be changed, everything will be made new. You don't have to worry, and that's the hope we have in Christ. (laughs) <laughs> we don't have to worry as Christians. We may have differences on when we, timing of when we think things are going to happen or all those discussions that people have, which is fine to have discussions about end times and the timing of things. Uh, it, you could turn those into bad discussions by how you treat one another, but ultimately we don't know until, I mean, we we do our best based on what our reading of Scripture and our understanding of Scripture. And people have different beliefs based on Scripture. Someone's going to be right. Someone's going to be wrong. But ultimately, uh, what matters is, are we in Christ? And that's the, the gist of that verse 9 um, that, or uh, let me go back to Galatians 3 where it says, and if you are Christ's, that's the key. If a person is Christ's, they belong to Christ, they are in Christ, then we have this hope of eternal life. Um, The last thing Paul mentioned in the list of four characteristics there of false teachers and what we should avoid is quarrels about the law. What is the central problem today, as well as then, in regard to questions about the law, what is really the central problem in questions of the law? Well, sure, sin. When, when we talk about the law, when we talk about quarrels about the law back then and now, it's still the same thing. What the central problem is, is the question of salvation by obedience to the law or by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the question, the debate that's been going on since, uh, since the uh, first century. It's been going on, before that even. Uh, it's always been the question and leading to quarreling about the law. Does the word of God answer the questions about the law? If there's a quarrel in the area that I'm talking about, salvation by obedience to the law, salvation by grace, does the word of God answer that question for us? Yes, absolutely. For Christians, is there or should there be a quarrel about it at all? No. No. The scriptures are clear, very clear. In Galatians 3.24, like the King James rendering of Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, in other words, the law is teaching us that we are sinners. It exposes our sin. It, it shows us that we are sinful and in need of justification by faith not by keeping the law. And Galatians 3.11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. How clear is that? Very clear. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, very clear. There's no point in engaging in quarrels, with unbelieving false teachers about the law, because their minds are darkened. They don't have understanding. And some Christians may be confused in, in this area, but they can be corrected with the word of God. By God's grace, they can be corrected, because now they have the spirit of God within them. And though they may be confused for a time, God can clear that up. And these passages, really, that, that I just read about this, should settle the matter. For Christians, it should settle the matter in our hearts and our minds. The question about the law, and what is it, and what is it not, should be settled. It is, it's clear, it's settled. We know, according to the word of God, no one is justified before God by the law. And really, if you read all the passages that talk about that, be grateful that It's not by keeping the law because we can't do it. If it was by keeping the law, we would all fail. There would be no one saved. So, to engage in these quarrels as if there's any legitimacy to the arguments on the other side uh, is to endanger the believer ultimately, right? It is to tempt yourself to be drawn away into the vain arguments of those who have defiled minds. Avoid this, Paul says. Avoid quarreling over the law. And Paul doesn't stop there with his final warnings. He goes beyond the discussion of false teachers to the behavior of those within the church who would stir up division. Okay? He talks about how to deal with those people because they're actually working from a warped and sinful mind. And we'll, we'll get into that next time as we finish up uh, chapter three. So next time we'll get into what he, his transition there from talking about false teachers and how they and their teaching are to be avoided to talking about the church and how we are to deal with those within the church who are um, causing or stirring up division in the church. And we have, we have clear teaching in the scripture about how to deal with that. Not that it's easy but we do have uh, instruction from the scriptures about how how to deal with it. So hopefully next time we'll be able to finish that and then finish up chapter three and be done with um, our study in Titus. So for this evening, let's close in prayer and we'll be done. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for uh, Paul's teaching to Titus that is also teaching us, reminding us where we came from, And reminding us that it's only by your grace that we have been changed transformed from what we were to what we are now in christ i pray lord we would not forget i pray that we would live in obedience to you and to your word pray that we would avoid the things that we're supposed to avoid help us not to get caught up in in all the things that would desire to pull us away from the sure anchor and foundation of your word. Lord, we, we ask you because we are dependent upon you and your spirit to keep us, to help us. Uh, we, for we cannot do it on our own. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us on our own. We thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters through repentance and faith in Christ. We thank you for the hope of eternal life May we live in obedience to you, bringing glory to your name, pointing others to Christ, and benefiting from these profitable and excellent things that you have told us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.